0: Hello and welcome to my show, Shuvra Deb With You, with me, your host, Shuvra Deb. In this show, I will be discussing mental health with the aim of raising mental health awareness in our community and in society as a whole. The genesis of the show is my own pivotal life-changing experience of being in a category five hurricane back in 2017. That experience led me to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. I am hosting this show in order to let you know that you are not alone if something life-changing has happened to you from which you are struggling to heal. ShuvraDeb Deb With You focuses on a range of topics relevant to mental health and to raising awareness of issues surrounding mental health hello everyone and welcome back to shuvra deb with you where i help you to prioritize and look after your own mental health and that of those you love and care about as you will know and for those of you tuning in for the first time my show is about raising awareness around the topic of mental health i want us all to be living in a society where looking after our own mental health and the mental health of those we love and care about is no longer stigmatized, as is currently the case in many parts of society. Whilst my show is about raising awareness around the issue of mental health, I do want to make it clear at the very outset that I'm not a mental health professional and I'm not a medically qualified doctor. If you need to seek professional help, then I wholeheartedly encourage you to do exactly that, whether that's by reaching out to your family practitioner, calling your local national mental health helpline, reaching out to a local mental health charity, or if you are feeling suicidal, please go to your nearest emergency department. Last week, I spoke about some very real personal experiences that I had with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. I spoke about how developing PTSD after experiencing Hurricane Irma in the British Virgin Islands back in 2017 had a profound and life-changing effect on me. I spoke about the importance of receiving treatment if you are or if you think you may be experiencing the symptoms of PTSD or of any other mental health issue. I concluded that show by giving you some tips on maintaining mental health through difficult times. If you missed that episode or any of my earlier shows and you would like to take a listen, then please do tune in to my podcast called Shuvra Deb With You, which is available on Spotify, Apple, Google and other platforms. The shows are available on demand and for free and the episodes land on Tuesdays at 6am Eastern Standard Time, but you can go in and listen to them at any time after that. On today's show, I am going to take a slightly less heavy approach to mental health and its maintenance. You guys enjoyed my third episode, which is called Knowing Your True Purpose in Life. I feel we all or most of us want meaning and purpose in our lives. Maybe that's because life is more enjoyable with purpose, maybe it's because we can create great things for ourselves and those around us once we have purpose and are motivated and enthused by our own lives. So today I am going to go back to the topic of purpose. On that previous episode of my show where I talked about getting to your life purpose, some of the things I talked about included the need for for a quietening practice like meditation, or yoga, in order to quiet the mind, and to invite in the gaps between our thoughts. I'll be delving a little more into that today, so stay tuned. On that previous show, On Purpose, I also spoke about having a gratitude practice. For example, at the end of the day, perhaps just before bed, you make a list of things, five things for which you are grateful from that day. Having a gratitude practice can get you to finding your purpose in life, Because gratitude and positive psychology go hand in hand. Tiffany sauber Melacci in the publication Positive Psychology states the following. Robert Emmons has led positive psychology's expansion of research on the importance of gratitude. Emmons has authored several papers on the psychology of gratitude, showing that being more grateful can lead to increased levels of well-being. By being grateful for things that we already have in our lives, we take the emphasis away from what we deem to be missing. For example, we may be driving a pretty nice Audi, but instead of enjoying everything that the Audi has to offer, we may be distracted by thoughts of when we'll be driving the next level up car, whether that's an Aston Martin or whatever it might be. But instead of lusting after that next level up of car, by being grateful for the Audi that we're already driving, That leads us to have more positive thoughts and a more open, accepting and positive outlook on the life that we already have. Rather than that sense of gratitude for what we already have being a block to achieving something more, something better. Instead, by having a positive outlook and attitude, we invite in more of the same greatness into our lives. This relates to and ties in with finding our purpose in life, because it is only by cultivating the positive that we are going to find purpose. For example, if our internal chat and thought patterns go something like, I'll never find my purpose, so what's the point? Then you have already brought in the negativity. You've already told yourself you won't find your purpose and that there's no point. If on the other hand, the approach you take is of being grateful, that uplifted positive psychological state that you would have nurtured will open up the path to purpose and so many other great things as well. The Buddhist saying goes, the mind is everything. What you think, you become. So positive and grateful thoughts will be more likely to lead to positive outcomes. At its very basic level, you're not going to find purpose from a place of negativity or from a can't do attitude. It's from a place of having a heightened sense of well-being, from being happier, more accepting, and more grateful that you'll find your purpose. The American gymnast Mary Lou Retton famously said, Optimism is a happiness magnet. If you stay positive, good things and good people will be drawn to you. So try it out. See if you can become an optimistic happiness magnet. Also on that previous episode about finding purpose, I spoke about the DISC method or the DISC test, which is a more practical way in which you can be guided towards your purpose in life. The DISC test is a multiple choice test that you take. It assesses your personality and character traits, which can guide you towards a deeper understanding of yourself, of who you are. By having that deeper understanding, you will be in a better position to know where your strengths lie. And this can lead you further along the path to purpose by allowing you to harness parts of your character where you have strengths. It's often what we are good at, that forms the basis of our greatest pursuits and achievements in life. So today, I will be talking to you about other ways in which you can get to your life's purpose and have fun along the way, so let's do this. Firstly, I wanna talk to you about doing what you loved in childhood. Doing what you loved in childhood can be a step towards finding purpose. How many of you remember certain activities that you loved as a kid Whether that was playing with Lego or other building blocks to construct something or whether that was playing with train sets or perhaps it was drawing, painting, writing. Maybe you liked molding things out of clay or or Play-Doh. The sorts of activities I'm speaking about are where you would be doing something and the hours would fly by and you wouldn't realize it. But not only would the hours fly by. Whilst those hours were cruising on, you were so absorbed by that activity that you were in a state of bliss. By bliss, I don't mean euphoria, being high, for example. What I mean is an activity that gave you a sense of joy. It's the thing that if you had to stop doing, for example, to go and eat dinner or to go to school or church or synagogue or mosque or temple, when you had to stop doing that activity, you felt sad. You would feel that you couldn't wait for the next opportunity to get back into that activity. And you felt that way because you had been taken away from those moments of being in and enjoying your pure bliss, your joy. If you have activities like that, that you can remember back to as a child, that is one way of tapping into what your life's purpose might be. If you're an accountant now, but you loved building objects as a kid, be that buildings or trains or whatever, then think back about getting back to that as an adult, using your spare time to build, for example, a miniature boat or creating something out of other materials. And whilst you may not leave your job as an accountant to pursue a life as, for example, a civil engineer, I mean, you might, and if you do, good for you, but you don't have to, the effect of getting back to a childhood passion and activity that puts you in a state of pure bliss, the effect of doing this, getting back to this, is that it distracts your thinking mind from, well, thinking, most of you listening to the show, listening to almost an hour's worth of words, are probably thinkers. Some of you may even be overthinkers. I know I certainly am an overthinker, which can have its benefits. You can come up with the most amazing ideas for your business, your home or work life whilst you're thinking about it. But equally, giving your mind a break from all that thinking, from the overthinking, has great benefits too. By taking a break from thinking, you are allowing yourself to just be to just be present and participate in the activity that you've chosen to pursue. And by doing that, you create those gaps in your thoughts that I spoke about. So why should you care about, in fact, why should you even invite in those gaps between your thoughts? Creating or even the thought of creating, that kind of void can give rise to worry, concern, anxiety. You may be thinking... What if I invite in those gaps, that void, and my brain goes somewhere uncomfortable and I start thinking about things I would rather avoid? My loneliness, for example. My paranoia about my weight, maybe. The fact that I think my kids might hate me, let's say. And I use fairly random examples here, but not so random because most of us have fears. Maybe not the ones I've just used as examples, but most of us fear something. Maybe my partner will leave me. Maybe they'll find someone else better, they like better. Maybe I'll lose my job. Maybe I'll lose my home. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Broadly speaking, two things can arise from creating that void, those gaps between our thoughts. The kinds of fear and panic I have just described, or the second thing that can come up in that void between our thoughts is a state of clarity and calm. So the opposite of the fear, panic, and anxiety But firstly, how to deal with the fear and panic? I think it depends on the nature of what comes up for you. If those gaps between your thoughts, that void, bring up things that are causing you distress, and I have said this on almost every single one of my episodes of my show, if anything is causing you distress, please seek help. Whether that's from a therapist, a counsellor, a doctor, or a local mental health helpline or charity, or even talking to a friend in the first instance, If on the other hand, you're not experiencing distress and instead you're feeling uncomfortable and you're feeling uncomfortable because the gaps between your thoughts comprise other thoughts that you'd rather not deal with, such as that conversation you know you need to have with your boss or your spouse and you've been putting it off. If that's what comes up for you in those quiet moments, then that's a sign to have that conversation, to get it out the way not least so that the worry about it can stop taking up space in your mind, your precious mind. Or if something deeper comes up, feelings of loneliness perhaps. If it is discomfort and not distress, then I invite you to sit with those feelings of discomfort. It won't be easy or fun or enjoyable to embrace your discomfort, at least not at first. But without doing so, there won't be any personal growth in your life And worse, you'll remain stuck with those feelings of discomfort, perpetually avoiding them. Whether that's by distracting yourself with sport or food or entertainment or sex or alcohol or whatever it might be. If you find yourself avoiding thoughts and feelings that give rise to discomfort, not distress, then I invite you to sit with the discomfort. Whether that's during meditation or a quiet five minutes sitting on your couch, perhaps looking out the window with a soft gaze. It's in those quiet moments of discomfort that we can discover aspects of our own nature. For example, if whilst you are taking your quiet five minutes, your mind goes off on a reel of negative internal chatter, then you, my friend, will have discovered a great thing. You will have discovered that your internal reel of negative mind chatter about yourself may be a contributing factor to holding you back on achieving goals, for example, or on feelings of lack of self-confidence or self-worth. Or, if whilst sitting on the couch quietly for five minutes, you realize that you feel lonely, then again, my friend, you will have discovered a great thing. You will have discovered that what may be missing from your life is a sense of grounding, a sense of belonging, perhaps. And then you can start to take steps towards how you may be able to heal from that. For example, through work on your root chakra, such as taking long walks in nature on the earth. It's also in those gaps between our thoughts that small moments of inspiration can come. In taking some quiet moments, we may realize that there is a poem or a piece of music or badass business plan waiting to burst out of us. It's when we take those quiet moments of silence and of solitude that our ideas, inspiration, and creativity can really start to flow. And I'm gonna come back to this a little later in the show about how quiet moments can give rise to the greatest inspiration which can be a part of your purpose that you already know or which can even lead to you finding your purpose. But giving you another more practical example first of another more activity based way of finding your purpose that is to look at the kinds of activities that have been trying to get out of you. What kinds of activities have been trying to get out of you? What do I mean by that? Let me explain. So. When I decided to read English literature and language for my first degree, it was not with the intention of being a writer. In fact, I very deliberately did not choose the creative writing course on the degree, knowing, as I thought I did then, that I would not be a creative writer. Fast forward a few short years from graduation, and by that stage, I was a full-on practicing barrister or litigation attorney in the UK. During those years, I would have moments of what I considered to be anyway, great crises, existential if you like, Whilst I seemingly had this charmed life to the outside world, anyone looking in. And it was seemingly charmed because particularly in the UK, or at least back when I was in practice, back then most people with whom I spoke revered barristers, revered the job that I did, the people that did them. People even used to walk around the Inns of Court in London and ask for their photo to be taken with us. We weren't famous, we weren't special, we were just a bunch of people, a bunch of lawyers walking around, much like anyone and everyone else in life, trying to work out what's going on. (laughs) In my case, trying to work out how to win the case, not let anyone down, not mess up. At least that's what I was doing most days, just trying to get through the day, right? But during those moments of existential crises, in the middle of this, my seemingly charmed life, I would open up my laptop and I would try to write an article. An article for which publication I knew not. An article on what topic I had, not the faintest clue, but an article. And then I... I would have an image of the fictional character of Carrie Bradshaw from the popular series Sex and the City in her Manhattan apartment typing away and somehow making a living out of it, surrounded by all those expensive shoes and dresses and handbags. And I would quietly roll my eyes at myself, my stupidity. And then I would tell myself, stop being silly. Stop being so silly. Not only can you not make a living from this, but you, I would tell myself, you don't have the faintest idea about how to write anything creative. Your job I'd say to myself, is to deal with facts, to analyze the law in relation to those facts, and then to present the most persuasive case that you can put together. Stop being silly. And with that, I would get back to my day job. I would drop any and all creative pursuit until the next existential crisis hit, and the next crisis, and the next. You see, every time I started to write something, usually an article, usually something that I wanted to be creative, it just wouldn't come. The words would not flow. The ideas would be stuck. It was as if I was this perennial chrysalis, stuck, stifled, gasping for air, trying to come out of its skin, trying to break free. Most of the time, I couldn't even get the first sentence out, and whatever I did manage to type, I would delete almost immediately because I thought it was a load of rubbish, terrible, things that no one would want to read. I would read back to myself the words that I had written, and in so doing, I knew that I could do better. I knew I could produce something so much better. Fast forward around 10 years from those moments of me trying to write creatively. And I can see myself sitting at my dining room table back in the British Virgin Islands where I had since moved to work as a lawyer. It was a Sunday afternoon, all my friends were out enjoying the sunshine on boats at the beach. Yet once again, there I was sitting at my dining room table trying to write. The urge was there. The urge was so passionately there, but the ideas were not. It was as if there was a haze, a cloud, some kind of block preventing any kind of flow, like thick fog that was all pervasive all around me. And then, boom, an idea hit. If I can't write creatively, let me write on what I do know about, I thought. At that point in time, I was doing a lot of work in what in the legal world is called interim relief. An example is where your client comes to you saying someone has stolen money or some other asset from, say, a jointly owned business, or that there's a real risk that they are about to do so. So, as a lawyer, you mobilise, you rush off to court, and you seek temporary or interim relief. That can come in the form of the court granting an order that preserves the position until the matter's aired out and hopefully resolved. So, in those moments, I thought, why don't I write a basic guide on interim relief? And so that's exactly what I started to do. I had about three chapters down, chapters that I thought were well-researched, thought through, constructed well, and I thought were pretty good as a first draft. I worked on this for about a year, and then Hurricane Irma came along and everything quite literally blew away, including my passion for this book or, or guide or whatever it was going to be, and that was that. Fast forward again about five years. In that time, I had made much more progress. I had written the basis of my first radio show and podcast, which all started quite recently. And I now come up with one hour's worth of content for you to listen to on a near weekly basis, which I hope helps you. But pausing there, going back to the point of getting to the activity that's trying to break out of you. That younger version of me, who 20 years ago, for about 15 years, struggled to write even one sentence, stared at a blank laptop screen started to write something, deleted it straight away, thinking it was terrible. That younger version of me was giving birth to the current version of me. The younger version of me was working through the blocks, working through the processes that all resulted in this present version. And if you, like I was, if you are someone who struggles and struggles to find your purpose, even when you're looking for it, you may be earnestly, desperately searching for your purpose, high and low. If you are someone who no matter what you seem to think about or try, you still haven't found your purpose. Maybe, just maybe you are also in process. Maybe the thoughts you currently have, the feelings you currently have, the activities you currently find yourself being drawn to, maybe through those processes, those trial and error moments, maybe you are currently birthing your purpose. And my friends, if you are in your process right now, if you are currently birthing your life's purpose, then I encourage you to keep going and I'm here cheering you on. So go back, go back to what you loved in childhood. Go back to the activities that gave you your bliss. See what activities or projects you are currently trying to birth, then reflect. What is it about these activities and projects that you enjoy? Is there one particular aspect of an activity that you are drawn to? And I have another example for you here. I have always loved talking to people since I was about two or three years old. Meeting people, getting to know them, smiling at them, waving at them, avoiding small talk, which I hate. But having in-depth conversations with people, of course, if they're keen for the same, I used to think that that was just me chatting with no particular purpose, perhaps because I had nothing better to do. In fact, I spent most of my childhood being told off by parents for talking to just anyone to strangers and also being told off by teachers for talking too much generally. And sometimes that's still a thing. But hey, these days I don't care so much for other people's opinions, at least not on that. What I do still care about is talking to people and getting to know people. And I have much more recently worked out that my passion for engaging with and talking to people is in order to understand how people are, how their minds work, and with that, to see what I can do to add value to other people's lives, including yours, I hope. Perhaps like me, and the near 15 year long failure to write anything meaningful, perhaps like me, you don't even realize that the thing you're trying to do, the thing on which you may be stuck, is in fact the very thing that is, or that leads to, you finding your purpose, your bliss, your joy. Or, perhaps you need to have more experiences in life because before your purpose can be birthed. I am as sure as I can be that without the death-defying de- experience of Category 5 Hurricane Irma, I would not have as much to say. In fact, I think I would have nothing to say on mental health. I certainly wouldn't have the wild stories that I now can share because of that crazy and highly unusual time. One of those stories is one of the more unforgettable experiences during the storm. A hurricane has what is known as the first wall where it spins in one direction, whilst hopefully making a forward motion passing over the land. And I say hopefully because if it's not going forward, it sits on top of the land and causes havoc. The hurricane then has a second wall and this is where it spins in the other direction and this is also where it gets wild for us during irma the winds in that second wall were so so strong that we could see two of the doors in our little room billowing from the force of that wind about to be sucked out from its sheer force i was taking shelter as part of a group and in those moments when the doors were being pulled outwards somehow it felt to me that instinctively We just knew that if those doors were sucked out which seemed quite likely at that stage our entire little shelter would be compromised with all of us in it in those moments i had this awful feeling i felt very much that the grim reaper was standing on the other side of that billowing door waiting for us and i had a very very real unique and terrifying feeling that we were almost certainly going to die and it was in those moments by some miracle we were able to dodge that bullet and magically find some rope that we didn't even know we had, and secure those doors in place. You see, by having that almost cartoon character-like image of the Grim Reaper standing on the other side of the door, that's perhaps one of the things that allowed that creativity to burst forth from me. Now, I'm not suggesting, of course, that having something that extreme happen is a, is a good or healthy way to find creativity, because let's face it, it's not. Those extremes are not healthy and are therefore best avoided. And that's why I'm suggesting less dangerous paths to creativity and to purpose here with you all today. But going back to that younger, earlier version of me around 20 years ago, trying to write an article and nothing happening, another part of all of this is to be patient. It may not take you the best part of 20 years to find your purpose. It may take you longer or it may come quicker, possibly even in an unexpected flash of inspiration In a dream, even. For those of you who may be feeling frustrated because it's taking you longer than you would like to find your purpose, look at Julia Child. The late famous chef and television personality wasn't always famous for her recipes and ability to hold a television audience. Child had a former career working in media and advertising, and then for the Office of Strategic Services, the OSS, which is the basis for the modern CIA. She turned to cooking in her 30s and as a hobby. It was through her new found hobby that she found and became known for the career for which we all remember and love her now. And Child published her first cookbook at the age of 49. Tom Allen, the Scottish yoga teacher, is another example of someone who found their passion, their purpose, later in life. At the age of 55, Allen cultivated a yoga practice, and the reason behind it was that he didn't like going for a run in the Scottish rain. And now, at 90-plus years of age, Alan is still teaching yoga. Moving on to another practical way in which we can tap into our purpose, and that is to free write, or to do some free writing. Free writing is a writing strategy which is similar to, but not quite the same as brainstorming or journaling. With brainstorming, we generally have an aim. For example, to come up with targets for the coming quarter, or to generate ideas on how those targets will be met or ideas for a novel that we might be writing. Brainstorming is intentional as there is a definitive quantifiable goal in mind. With journaling, there is also more of an intention behind it. It's more intentional as the usual aim of journaling is to note down events from our day or how we may be feeling about a certain situation with the aim of gaining clarity around the situation or with the aim of being able to clear our minds of what may be troubling us or to find a solution to a problem that we may be having. Free writing is more, well, free. The idea is, is that you write whatever comes into your mind, and you do so without pausing for thought, and without thinking, and certainly without overthinking. For the overthinkers amongst you, and I feel your pain, free writing can actually be a nice release from the binds of our thoughts and overthinking, because we're forcing ourselves not to think. When free writing, it doesn't matter if what comes to your mind initially is something that may seem relevant. For example, the words table or chair or cat. What free writing does is that it opens us up to the untapped parts of our mind where we may have stored some ideas or feelings towards something that when permitted expression, give us an idea for something that we would not otherwise have thought of. This is because free writing allows your ideas to flow And they flow and come to fruition on paper without the menace that has our internal censor. That's the censor that says, well, this is silly, so there's no point in writing this down. No matter how silly something might seem, or even how irrelevant something might seem, write it down anyway. And this is in order that you open up your free writing channels, your free writing abilities. The more we do something, generally, the better we get at it. And that's because our brain is being trained to do something repetitiously. Like lifting weights, once we have cracked the form and have been lifting a certain amount of pounds or kilograms worth of weights enough times, we start to be able to lift heavier weights and to do so more frequently. And it's the same with any skill, including this one, of free writing. When you start, you may have just random words, but in time you'll find your writing sentences and, and paragraphs. By practicing free writing, by tapping into those, as yet, untapped parts of yourselves, your brains, you can start to solve problems or any issues that you may be experiencing. You can birth your first novel or poem or other artistic piece of work. Or you can simply offload your thoughts and feelings that have built up over the course of the day, week or month. And all the while you're doing this, you are following your intuition. So how you do the free writing? Sit quietly for a few moments. Take a few deep breaths. Have a piece of paper or notepad and pen or pencil in front of you. And I find writing manually to be much more natural than than typing on a keyboard or laptop. And once you've quietened your mind as much as you can, just write. See what happens. Follow your intuition. And the more you follow your intuition, the more it will guide you. It's a bit like using a map, the old-fashioned paper map, that is, as maps on apps can sometimes take us to the wrong places, right? On a car journey to an unknown place, if you wing it and hope for the best, you may take a few wrong turns along the way. You'll eventually get to where you need to be, you hope, but it will probably take you a little bit longer. The more you follow the map, the more likely you are to get to the right place, and sooner than if you had just ignored the map and left it sitting next to you in the car. It's the same with intuition. By tapping into our intuition, we are getting closer to tapping into our purpose. And that's because we are following our internal compass, a bit like the map we follow when on a car journey to an unknown place. For example, it's our inner compass that makes us alive to the fact that someone may be looking at us or staring at us without us realizing it. This has probably happened to many of you. You're sitting on the train or the bus, reading, looking down, Something, perhaps a feeling, that seemingly comes out of nowhere causes you to look up and to look in a certain direction, and as soon as you do, you see someone looking at you, who then probably quickly looks away. Jonas Salk, the American virologist and medical researcher who invented one of the first successful polio vaccines, is quoted as having said, Intuition will tell the thinking mind where to look next. Now, it may be reasonable to say that one of Salk's purposes in life was to be a healer, and more particularly, to find a vaccine for polio, which in 1950s America was a communicable disease that was killing tens of thousands of children. Salk worked in a laboratory in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he didn't just work in trying to find a polio vaccine, he really worked. It was later commented by Dennis Denenberg that Salk worked 16 hours a day, seven days a week, for years. But in spite of all of that work, all of that effort, all of that intention, Salk was stuck. And notwithstanding all of the progress that he had made in his lab in Pittsburgh, he just wasn't able to get to the final version of the vaccine. So he decided to take a break. Salk took himself off to the quiet hills of central Italy in Europe and went to stay in a monastery. James Clear, the famous author of the book Atomic Habits, writes that it was in this space Salk had the breakthrough discovery which ultimately led to the successful polio vaccine. Salk is known to have later said himself, the spirituality of the architecture there in Italy was so inspiring that I was able to do intuitive thinking far beyond any I had done in the past. Under the influence of that historic place, I intuitively designed the research that I felt would result in a vaccine for polio. I returned to my laboratory in Pittsburgh to validate my concepts and found that they were correct. So there you have it. One of the most successful discoveries of our time, the vaccine for polio, which led to the near eradication of the awful disease which can leave children physically disabled, was created as the result of hard work, determination, and ultimately, intuition. So for you, with everything else that you're already doing, working hard, thinking about what your purpose might be, following through on your purpose if you already know what it is. With all of that, I invite you to follow your intuition and to do so without compromise. In the same way that following intuition can fulfill someone's purpose, such as Salk's intuition helping him to invent that vaccine for polio, it can work the other way around too. Intuition can give rise to purpose, or rather following your intuition can help give rise to your purpose. You just gotta listen to it, to your internal compass. For example, it may be the case that the degree you chose to study came about more as a result of a gut feeling, a knowing, an intuition. And the degree you chose has led to many things in your life that you probably didn't anticipate would happen when you picked that subject. Circling back to what I said earlier in this episode, By tapping back into, or by tapping into for the first time, to those activities that bring us joy, that is you following your intuition. So keep following your intuition, and those small steps, those moments when you use your intuition, will be one of the things that leads you to your purpose. Once you have more of a feel, even if it's only an inkling as to what your purpose might be. A step that you can take towards fulfilling that purpose and growing it is to do what Ed Milet calls touching the dream. Check out my show notes on the podcast for a link to this episode of the Ed Milet Show. It's only 24 minutes long and it's truly inspiring hearing Milet speak about this or generally about anything. He says that when he was starting out in business with not much money, one of the dreams that he had was to experience things like staying in a fancy hotel. And as he says, your dream doesn't have to be materialistic, but a part of it can be, why not? So what Milet would do is that he would set himself a sales target for the month, and if he achieved or surpassed that target, he would take himself off to the local Ritz-Carlton for a one-night stay. And if in the following month he did not hit the target he had set himself, he would not spend that night in the Ritz-Carlton. By setting himself the target and using the earnings from that when the target was reached, he was able to touch his dream, even if it was just for one night. But by that act, he was training his brain that he was able to have that lifestyle of which he dreamed. At the same time, he was encouraging himself to keep going with what he was doing in order to keep enjoying touching that dream. At the same time, by not going to stay at the Ritz-Carlton when he had not hit his target, he was teaching his brain that that dream was not the norm, at least not at that point in time. At the same time, Milet was having micro celebrations, celebrating the smaller achievements on his way to the bigger ones. And whilst you're doing all of that, the one thing that I think none of us can lose sight of is enjoying the journey. So you might be on a a discovery, self-discovery journey, a journey to discovering your purpose or to achieving a target or a goal, but you've got to enjoy the journey. You've got to enjoy the process. If in doing all the things I'm suggesting here to get to your purpose, you stick to a fixed track to get to that goal you have set yourself without sight on anything else that happens along the way, you may just end up missing out on finding your purpose because sometimes it's those events that we think are side events that we consider to be distractions that actually take us towards our purpose. When I was practicing at the bar in the UK, I was asked by a friend of mine, another barrister, whether I would be interested in speaking before a group of young people, of students, coming to the bar about practicing as a barrister, how to get into the bar, all that sort of stuff. I thought nothing of it and immediately said yes because I wanted to help my friend who was looking for a speaker and I wanted to help the young students who were considering the career path that I was on at that point. In saying yes to my friend, what I hadn't realized is that the event would be chaired by Lord newburger the then president of the Supreme Court of England and Wales, and therefore the highest judge in the highest court in England and Wales. To even be in the same room as Lord newburger was to me, and pretty much I'm sure everyone else like me, was a huge enough deal. But to meet the man himself and to be speaking at the same event, that was and still is one of the greatest honours. I was the first speaker at the event, being the most junior person there. When I got on the podium to speak, I found myself speaking from my heart. I mean, I had an idea of what I was going to say, of, you know, this is what I did, and then that's what I did, and then these were my experiences. But when I opened my mouth and I started speaking, it really came from my heart. I shared my lived experiences of entering the bar and of legal practice, the difficulties, the moments of pure joy, all of it. The students listened to what I was saying with intensity, many of them coming up to me afterwards to ask questions and a number of them emailing me after the event to ask further questions. I got such a buzz, such a natural high from giving that talk on that one day that I firmly believe today that that event is one of the main events that led me to the path I am on now, my purpose which is to speak up about and destigmatize attitudes to mental health issues and to speak about things like, well, finding your purpose. As it turned out, Lord Newberger, when referring to what each of us, the speakers, had said, he said some really lovely things about what I had said in my speech. Those compliments made me feel confident, appreciated, and as if what I was doing in those moments on that podium actually made a genuine difference to the lives of the students in the audience. Now, had that side event in my legal career not happened, that seeming distraction from preparing for the next case or getting ahead on my pleadings as it may be viewed, had I not said yes to that invitation to speak, it is quite likely that I would not have found the passion that I have today for public speaking outside of the courtroom context. It is quite likely that had Lord Newberger not said those nice things about me, I may not have found the confidence to stand up and speak in front of larger groups of people about things that get me passionate and I hope about things that help them, the audience to whom I am speaking. So get on your track, your path to finding purpose, but please enjoy the journey along the way. Drink up those seeming side events, the alleged distractions, the apparent diversions and see where they take you. The magic that you're looking for may just be found in those so-called off-road turns. I've given you a lot of information today on finding purpose. I've talked about why the practice of gratitude opens up abundance and allows more good things, people and opportunities to flow towards you, which could in the round lead you to finding your purpose. Positive and grateful thoughts will be more likely to lead to positive outcomes At its very basic level, you're not gonna find purpose from a place of negativity or from a can't do attitude. It's from a place of having a heightened sense of well-being, from being happier, more accepting and more grateful that you will find your path to purpose. I've also explored a number of different practical ways in which we can go about finding purpose. I suggested tapping back into participating in activities that you enjoyed as a child the kinds of activities where the time would just pass by and you would be in a state of bliss. It may be that by getting back into those activities, you start to find what fulfills you. And in finding what fulfills you, you will be getting closer to your purpose. I also invited you to explore activities that you may feel have been trying to get out of you, a project that perhaps you started months, possibly even years ago, but for some reason you haven't been able to complete it as yet. Don't give up on that. Keep going back to it, keep trying. For me, it was creative writing. I spent the best part of 20 years trying to find my creative writing flow. And then suddenly, after a few life experiences along the way, boom, the creative flow was there. In this episode, I also suggested free writing as a way of getting to your purpose by tapping into your intuition, which is what free writing encourages. And then I encouraged you to follow your intuition and to do so without compromise. Once you are in your purpose or getting closer to it, I talked about having micro celebrations when you have achieved smaller goals along the way to get to a bigger And I talked about this in the sense of touching your dream, quoting Ed Milet. And finally, I spoke about the importance of not being so fixated on the goal, in this case, the goal of finding purpose, that you become sidetracked and distracted from enjoying the process. Circling back to that, I want to leave you with the story which I found on a website called alltimeshortstories.com. It's called Purpose of Life, and it goes like this. Once upon a time, there lived a wise man. He was the head of the local administration of a small village. Everyone respected him and his views and opinions were well regarded. Many people came to him seeking advice. His son, however, was very lazy and wasted his time sleeping and spending time with his friends. No amount of advice or threat made any difference to him. He wouldn't change at all. The years passed by and with time, the youth of the wise man faded. As he grew older, he began to worry about his son's future. He recognized the need to give something to his son so that he could take care of himself and his family-to-be. One day, he called his son to his room and said, My son, you are no longer a kid. You must learn to take responsibility and to understand life. I want you to find the real purpose of your life, and when you find it, remember it always, and you will lead a life full of happiness and joy. Then he handed his son a bag When the son opened the bag, he was surprised to see four sets of clothes, one for each season. There were also some raw foods, grains, lentils, a little bit of money, and a map. His father continued, I want you to go find a treasure. I have drawn a map of the place where the treasure is hidden. You need to go and find it. The son loved this idea. The next day, he eagerly set out on a journey to find the treasure. He had to travel really far across borders, forests, plateaus, and mountains. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months. Along the way, he met a lot of people. He was helped by some with food and by some with shelter. He also came across robbers who tried to rob him. Slowly, the season changed, and so did the landscapes along with it. When the weather was unpleasant, he halted for the day and continued his journey when the weather cleared finally after a long year he reached his destination it was a cliff the map showed the treasure being placed below the cliff under the tree upon spotting the tree he began to dig the ground he searched and searched around it under it on it but found nothing he spent two days looking and digging for the treasure by the third day he was so exhausted that he decided to leave Disappointed over his father's lie, he headed back to his home. On his way back, he experienced the same changing landscapes and seasons. This time, however, he halted to enjoy the blooming flowers in spring and the dancing birds in monsoon. He stayed in places only to watch the sun set in paradise or to enjoy pleasant summer evenings. Since the supplies he carried were long finished by then, He learned to hunt and make arrangements for his meals. He also learned how to sew his clothes and shelter himself. He was now able to determine the hour of the day by the position of the sun and plan his journey accordingly. He also learned how to protect himself from wild animals. He met the same people who had helped him earlier. This time, however, he stayed a few days with them and helped them in some way or other to repay them he realised how nice they were to an ordinary passer-by who had had nothing to offer them in return. When he reached home, he realised it had been two years since he had left. He walked straight into his father's room. "'Father!' he said. The father immediately jumped to his feet and hugged his son. "'So, how was your journey, my son? Did you find the treasure?' he asked. "'The journey was fascinating, father, but forgive me, for I wasn't able to find the treasure.' Maybe somebody took it before I reached the location. The son surprised himself by what he had just said. He wasn't angry at his father. Instead, he was asking for forgiveness. There wasn't any treasure in the first place, my son, the father answered smiling. But why did you send me to find it then? The son asked. I will tell you why. But first, you tell me. How was your journey to the place? Did you enjoy it? Of course not, father. I had no time. I was worried someone else would find the treasure before I did. I was in such a hurry to reach that cliff. He continued, But I did enjoy the journey on my way back home. I made many friends and witnessed miracles every day. I learned so many different skills and the art of survival. There was so much I learned that it made me forget the pain of not finding the treasure. The father said to him, Exactly, my son. You may want to lead your life with a goal, But if you remain too focused on the goal, you will miss out on all of the treasures of life along the way. I love that story. So what's the moral of it? Have goals and aims, but it's often when we show up in life without having to associate any meaning or greater purpose to events that we find the true enjoyment in each moment. And from my experience, it's in those moments during which we find true enjoyment true fulfillment that we also find our true purpose thank you for listening bye for now the shuvradeb with you podcast is inspired and brought to you by shuvradeb copyright shuvradeb thank you all so much for tuning in and for listening to shuvradeb with you and please do tune in every thursday at 2 p.m on bobo fm 89.1 for more topics related to and relevant to mental health. If any of you would like to reach out to me directly about any of the issues I've discussed, please do email me at shuvradeb82 at gmail.com That's spelt S-H-U-V-R-A-D-E-B the numbers 82 at gmail.com Thank you so much for tuning in and listening.